remain standing and have your Bibles turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. Hear now God's holy word. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I may have mentioned this before. I can't remember. But growing up, I was profoundly enamored to have an uncle who was a diplomat, who was a high uh, official, an ambassador, a pretty influential political figure during his career. He has long been retired now, but he served as the South Korean ambassador to the United Kingdom in the 1980s and also to the US in the 90s after that. Afterward, he was elevated to the third man in the Korean government as the prime minister. And then he was also the chief representative to argue for the case to bring the World Cup to South Korea in 2002. He got so popular because of this that uh, he was thrust into running for the president, uh, presidency in South Korea, something that he later withdrew from. I actually don't have any idea really what he stood for, what policies and political agenda he represented. He was obviously well-educated. He was very bright. He was a scholar at Emory when he studied here in the States and other prestigious institutions. And so growing up as an early teen, I knew of this uncle and I was impressed to be related to him. I got to go to London, I think as a seventh grader, and stay in this centuries-old mansion that Uh, my cousins and I were convinced was haunted Uh, and he was an ambassador. Maybe my Anglophile-ness kind of came from this visit uh, as a teenager to then when he was a uh, a diplomat to the United States and visiting his glamorous residence in Washington, D.C. And when we would go to restaurants that were famous for having political leaders and presidents dine there, he would be addressed as Ambassador Lee, welcome, when he walked in. And I remember being so impressionable back then and just kind of walking near him saying, yeah, this is my uncle. But that was the first time I was ever introduced really to the concept of ambassadorship. He took it very seriously as he should have, representing the concerns and the agenda of his own nation. Ambassadorship seems to be a timeless example that we find here in today's example, something the ancients used and heavily depended on and a concept that is not foreign to us and is still heavily relied on in today's geopolitical landscape. Well, the Apostle Paul understands the importance of this imagery and uses it for conveying a more important concept 
not just for certain individuals, but for all believers. And in our Christian ambassadorship, as we'll discuss later on as the title says, our Christian ambassadorship is a privileged one, a privileged role, and it includes a privileged task to live out. And so as we go through these very short verses here, I'm going to provide four headings to help us navigate what the apostle is trying to teach and highlight. Look at verse 17. The first heading is the old and the new. The old and the new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, verse 17 says, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In its immediate context, right, because we're kind of in the middle of this chapter here, The Apostle Paul is explaining the difference between our old sin nature versus the new nature that has come in Jesus Christ as new creation. And this dichotomy also corresponds to the old home, this world, to the new home awaiting for us in heaven. He's clearly making this distinction. And how we are to view everything now through this new lens, not from the old lens, but from the new The flesh versus the spiritual. The old versus the new. And yes, while we wait for heaven in our destroyed tent, if you can see all the way back in verse 1, in our old flesh, in our old destroyed tents, we groan. We wait for the moment that we can finally go see him, as we sang earlier, face to face in heaven. To put on the heavenly dwelling. And so truly, as this sets the stage for the talk of ambassadorship, this world is actually not our home any longer. We are citizens now of the heavenly kingdom. And so we are citizens of the kingdom of God because God has made us new creation. This is his argument. And so the therefore now in verse 17 is reverting to the verses before today's passage, referencing uh, immediately, look at verse 15, and he died for all. This is Jesus. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We've been saved, not just for a ticket that we put in our back pocket and say, this ticket gets me to heaven. Not only for that, not only for salvation for eternity, but for a purpose for all the days of our lives after we've been reborn. Not that we live for ourselves any longer, but for his sake. I wonder if I read this verse every morning when I would rise. I wonder if that would change the direction or the trajectory of my attitude, even of my emotions, of my convictions. Oh, that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for, their, for our sake died and was raised. To have that spiritual mentality now is what happens when the old is replaced with the new. In the newness, in this new life, in the right now implications of the gospel. Not 10 years later or let me just mature a little bit more in my spiritual walk and then I will live for him. But know that moment that God has helped us cross over from the old to the new. We are to live for him and not ourselves. But yes, I'll be the first to admit this process takes some time to work itself out but we are made aware that we're seeing evidence of that turning of the heart as true believers that we're progressively seeing in ourselves oh we're living more and more for his purposes in mind we're not there overnight but gradually as we walk with the Lord as we remain in him and as he remains in us 
we start to say, you teenagers, you, you could even tell your parents or vice versa or in your men's group or ladies group, but et cetera, et cetera, that I'm starting to see, oh, the affections of my heart change week by week, month by month, year by year. This cannot be from me, but from God's spirit alone. And of course, this doesn't mean or speak to not having a house or a good stable career or a savings account, but we are sure what is driving our lives are not those things, but what our new identity should be all about God and his kingdom. And so we are challenged then. We are urged to consider this newness, this new status from Paul, this new identity that overwhelms us. And Paul states that this has already happened, actually, in our union to the Son, Jesus Christ. Union to Jesus is the most profound and important doctrines in all the scriptures, that because we are united to him, we are already new creation. Now that we have to, uh, not that we, we have to get our lives straightened out first, Rob and I, God's not saying, Rob, and I'm going to give you a decade, and you better just get your life straight. You better become more moral than the person next to you. You better uh, hit the quota for all the good works so that I can make you an ambassador or so that I can make you a new creation. No, it's when God's spirit makes the heart of stone into a heart of flesh from then we live up to this new identity because of our sheer union to him that has already transformed our identity i know that doesn't work in the uh, the formulas or the equations of this earth we always have to earn we always have to get qualified we always have to pass exams but for god he does all the work and we simply receive and respond and so this is what happened for the Corinthian Christian. This is what happens to believers in the Elgin area region. Well, then now we are privileged to be part of the ministry of reconciliation, as it says in our sec for our second heading for us today, number two, the powerful ministry of reconciliation. Let's read in verse 18 to the first part of verse 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Let me stop there. This new creation process has happened because it is all from God. This is all from God. This is all from the will of God. He made it happen for you. It was his divine pleasure and will for it to happen for you. There's no room to pat yourself on the back. There's no room to think, well, it's because of my heritage or the tradition of my genealogy. But this was his divine pleasure for you individually for this to happen. And the way he made this possible was through the process of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Before we get to the ministry part of it, let's define and talk about what reconciliation is. One theologian helpfully wrote, quote, Reconciliation, then, is the divine provision by which God's holy displeasure can be appeased. It is the divine provision by which hostility can be removed. It is the divine provision by which sinners can be restored to him. Then he says, man never makes reconciliation. It is what we embrace, not what we do. End quote. So what we can learn from the context of Scripture is that God is the reconciler, not us. God is actually the offended party, not us. 
Because when we think of human reconciliation and its possibility through the application of the gospel, we think of two parties having some type of enmity between them, some type of hostility between the two, where both parties have made an offense against the other. But in our process of salvation, we are reconciled to God because he has removed the animosity and hostility and enmity that were solely because of us, because of our sinfulness. He is the only offended party in the equation. That's what makes the reconciliation of God to man so marvelous is that it's 100% only from God and 100% we are the offending party. Ephesians 2.3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That leads to our third point. The heading is entrusting ambassadorship and the divine appeal. Entrusting ambassadorship and divine appeal. Look at the second half of 19 to 20. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The reason why I like using words from the text sometimes as part of the headings is because they are definite, important words to anchor us in our interpretation and highlight for our own remembrance. Let's take the first and last words in our heading first, entrusting and divine appeal. We're entrusted not with a temporary plan, not with a limited plan, but we're actually entrusted with the treasure of all treasures. We don't actually have to invent the gospel every 10 years. We don't actually have to add 10% every year or several months to the gospel to become more relevant to the world. We don't have to become less and less trusting of God's word because of the changing surrounding circumstances or culture. We've been entrusted with something that is everlasting, is bulletproof, is indestructible and most worthy of our trust and belief. Sure, from 2,000 years ago in the early church, yes, the gospel has been attacked. It's been messed with. It's been meddled with. And subtracting or adding to the gospel. Then we have the Reformation that said we want to go back to the ancient texts of old and recover again what it is in this message of God. And the realization even 500 years later in our context to say, I know you're tempted to, but there is no need to dabble with changing this message. Because we've been entrusted, friends, with the good news of the gospel. What is most needed for every soul living on planet Earth, Paul is alluding to, is the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is not to change society but to proclaim the gospel of reconciliation. One generation might have huge effects on a certain city or culture. We can think of Geneva, Switzerland, and Calvin and his work there, but then is lost and wayward the next or in several generations after. The point is, life under the sun, as we've been looking at in Ecclesiastes, is always going to deal with the after effects of the fall and sin. And so it's not the church's job to say, we're just going to make this a better place and everyone's going to be happy and we're going to achieve some Christian utopia. 
No, that's the wrong focus. The focus is on the unadulterated, untouched, not contaminated version of the gospel of God and the ministry and the ministry of reconciliation. There is always going to be that need. There will always be that need. Will the church rise? Will the church stand firm to proclaim the necessity to become reconciled to Christ? I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about the history of the world. Perhaps we add the equation of Jesus Christ to some things and make it religious and we say, you know, even if people aren't being converted and reconciled to God, things are changing, our society is getting better, and the temptation in the history of the world is, fine, that's great, because this was our agenda all along, to get this or to get that to happen. And if some people get reconciled to God, that's a bonus. You see how topsy-turvy and backwards that really is. Paul didn't shout 2,000 years ago, we need to change our world for our purposes and change our culture around us. They were the vast minority in the Roman Empire, where most of them were martyred because of faith. But he, what did he say? I preach and I proclaim only Christ and him crucified. We talked a lot last week about early Christians 2,000 years ago and the early Protestant reformers 500 years ago that were burned at the stake for their faith. True persecution, true suffering, because it was so countercultural in their day to believe in this gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. It wasn't actually centuries later in the early church when the official religion of the Roman Empire changed to Christianity that doctrine and the gospel started to get changed and watered down. It started to get political. It started to get uh, used as military kind of uh, uh, advancement, et cetera, et cetera, and expansion of empires. Oh, but when we look at the early church, like I said, when they were brought into the Colosseum and fed to animals or burned at the stake, they had a smile in their hearts because they said, I do this because I believe Christ and him crucified only, oh, be reconciled to God. So would we prefer dying for the true gospel and suffer in that way? Or do we desire to be left in peace, but with the watered-down, compromised gospel? Where we don't highlight the need to be reconciled to God through Christ, but just be a good moral citizen with some good works on the side, you're going to be all right. What would you choose or prefer if you had that decision to make? And so whatever cultural implication one finds themselves either in the U.S. or as a Christian in China or in South Africa or New Zealand and so forth, the only divine appeal we need to focus on is this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I shared this with some of you before. My friend told me about a missionary who went to the underground church in China. And as the church gathered quietly, and perhaps in secret, and they gathered for a worship service, the missionary from this other nation proclaimed something like, if you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you should expect some type of suffering for the unadulterated message of Jesus Christ. And my friend was saying, the missionary looked and was amazed that everybody was looking around and they all, almost like in unison, replied, yes, <laughs> you don't have to 
you know, convince us. We already know that in our lives. Suffering is normal for us here. It might not be normal for you where you're coming from, but it is normal for us, and we still believe because this is the center of God's word and, mess and mission is the reconciliation to God the Father. Now to the final term, ambassadorship. Oh, brothers and sisters, friends, we do all of this. We act all of this out. We do all of these things as ambassadors through divine ambassadorship. You see, ambassadorship is for everyone who is saved. Some would like to say it's just for Robin, it's just for the preachers, it's just for the elders, it's just for those who hold some office at church or you're a missionary overseas. But if you read the text, it's really addressed to everyone. Be reconciled to God, and this is what we've been entrusted with. To be an ambassador entrusted with the gospel message of reconciliation and to participate in the divine appeal to man for the sake of God. This is to everyone who calls themselves a believer in Jesus. And so as ambassadors, our job is not to change uh, the, 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 the notions of, of a foreign land that we're visiting, but to represent the sovereign. This is how it was 2,000 years ago. It's even now with diplomacy in today's geopolitical uh, realm. We are to represent where we come from. And for us as believers who are sovereign is God Almighty. And so I think Paul is trying to allude to stop living like you are a permanent citizen of this earth. And start living then as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And may that be a rebuke for me, an admonition for all of us, if we've gotten just so comfortable and thinking in our minds, oh, this is, this is the be-all, end-all. Oh, my residence here is everything in my identity. And Paul is saying, you got it all wrong. You're only a, a sojourner now. You are only an ambassador for the things of this kingdom of God. You know, in the context of the world and even in ancient context, being an ambassador came with such dignity, pride. You felt good being an ambassador. You felt privileged. But what if things were completely different? Just, just you know, tr try to hear me out here. What if we got to sit at headquarters with God in heaven, looking down at this planet Earth, and God said to a group of people, who can I send? Who can I send as a representative for the Almighty God? Who would go on my behalf and proclaim good news to the world? And he paused to hear who would respond. Oh, there would be so much clamoring, excitement to raise your hand and say, please pick me, pick me. God of the universe, the only one true God, the creator of all things, can I represent you? Of course. Can I really be picked as your ambassador? Of course. Pick me. What a great joy that would be. So let me say this again. For all who are in Christ, we are automatically called to be his ambassadors. But for some of us, though, maybe perhaps all of us, the joy, the excitement to represent God in this temporary place is not all that exciting. Because perhaps, and I say this, I preach this to myself, maybe our agenda is not about proclaiming the gospel of reconciliation. But perhaps it's building up, surrounding our wants and our desires. You see, if you lose the gospel, if you lose the gospel corporately as a church or individually as a believer, if you lose the gospel and our mandate to share it and to proclaim it, 
everything from the heart becomes compromised. The reformers said our hearts are like idol-making factories. Over and over, the flesh says, you don't really need to be concerned about ambassadorship. You need to worry about all these things that is just going down the conveyor belt over and over. But we're left here on earth, Paul says, to represent not ourselves, but a sovereign, our God, to represent and proclaim his agenda, his purpose, not to create our own kingdom. And I'll spend more and more time saying, God, if this is not me, I want to repent. I want to turn, not away only from my sinful intentions, but to your will and to your purpose. Just like today, ambassadors don't go to foreign nations and tell their counterparts, I know I'm here representing my nation, but I'm really here so that I can buy some land, that I can make a name for myself, that I can have a kingdom, so to say, and home for myself. Of course not. Of course, in history, that's been done. But of course, that's not how we should look at this. As Christian ambassadors, if you look closely at your life, perhaps you might see, though, that this is exactly what we're doing. Oh, I'm here on behalf of Jesus in my true home. But what I might be tempted to think, I'll get people to Christ by my eloquence, or I'm a great debater, or I'll be successful in business, so I'll convince people that way. I'm not socially awkward, and I'm great with strangers and coworkers. And you'll be tempted to think I could do this through my own merit or effort. It's rather much more simple and easier than that. You trust in the work of God to move you away from your own agenda or your own self uh, uh, um, dependence and reliance to get the job done, it's much simpler. You just trust in the work of God in his message of reconciliation. You talk about that. You point them to that, that he is completely just by pardoning the sin that we all have because he sent his son to become sin for us on the cross. So Paul is saying you must believe yourself. You must be reconciled yourself. You must accept that as truth and trust it in, in its finished work in order to be saved. And if you do, you'll be reconciled to the Father you thought you never would ever know. You'll be in harmony with your Creator, your true Lord. That's, Lord. that's why we're put on earth. That's why we're left on earth to proclaim this. And so Paul says, be reconciled to God first. Believe in the gospel. Then do your all to represent God and his truth by proclaiming Jesus as the Redeemer. This gospel of forgiveness and substitutionary atonement. This gospel of reconciliation. It's nothing to be ashamed at. It's much easier than you're making it. All you have to do is proclaim it. Whatever seeds you spread of the gospel, God and his sovereignty will sprout in his will. That's probably the most dangerous, uh, discouraging bit that the enemy will give to you. Well, Robin, you can't, you're not an effective ambassador. You don't have it all straight, even yourself. You're not going to be able to articulate or to argue or to bring people to the faith. And so you're just not even worth it. So stay at home. But when you say, actually, my job is just to throw seeds. And wherever it lands, if God's will is to save that soul, wherever it lands, then praise be to God for his sovereign will. How easy that is instead of, Oh, you need to get qualified. You need to level up in order for God to use you. But how freeing that is to say, God, if I go to school, as I go to work, or if I'm with some neighbors of this afternoon, help me to just trust 
in your will and sovereign care as I try to point people to the Son, as I try to reach as many people as I can with the word of God, the word of Christ. And let me just trust you that you'll call whom you will to call. You see, the ambassadors simply do as they are told. Perhaps, and I, I want to maybe even just, because I, I, I haven't talked to my uncle about this, but what if he was like, okay, first ambassadorship to the United Kingdom, but the real goal is to become an ambassador to the United States of America, but the real goal after that is then to ascend to become the president of South Korea, and so forth. I'm sure all ambassadors have that temptation. But for us, the only concern that we have is, yes, I want to do this and represent you. There is no doing this so that I can get something else. He has already given you and granted you forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. And so, God, help me to represent you, the sovereign, without care for my own agenda. Place me wherever you want to place me. As ambassadors of Jesus, it's not send me to a place where there's at least three culvers within one mile. Then I will serve you. Or please, God, never send me to Eastern Europe or to Africa or to et cetera, et cetera. But place me. I, I have three options for you, God, to pick from. Of course, that would be silly to talk to Almighty God that way. Instead, we say, God, wherever it is. I was a city church planner for many years. I had no I, no vision, no uh, <laughs> uh, um, maybe even appetite to go all the way an hour away. The, you know, and, and I thought I was going to be a church planner and this and that, and, and I had it all figured out after seminary, right? But wherever God places you, you have a little bag of seeds. And you say, if it's not this or that or what I wanted or what I wanted to achieve, God, just help me to spread Help me to represent you. I know I'm going to mess up, and I'm such a sinner still, and I don't have everything put together in my life, but just help me, God, represent you boldly, with courage, with love for you and your kingdom. Oh, if I could just see my attitude change in that way, may God do it in my heart, but also in yours. <laughs> Seriously, before you go to bed, just think about this. I, I have the privilege... I have the privilege to be a mouthpiece. I have the privilege to share to my, my relatives, my friend, my boss, my coworkers. I, I have this privilege with a person that I go to school with. Really, me? You're gonna use an empty vessel like me? And God says through his word, yes, yes. And so let us be ambassadors for him for his glory indeed. Finally, verse 21. The fourth heading, and we'll conclude with this, the gospel's great exchange. One of my favorite verses of all the scriptures. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, Jesus was 100% divine, yet 100% human fully and truly divine, fully and truly human, but yet was without sin. Yet on that cross, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, meaning on the cross, what was credited to Christ, or we use the biblical term, imputed to Christ, was actually our sin, 
And then in reverse, what was, what was credited to us was the righteousness of Christ for all who believe. If he never sinned once, and I've used this illustration before, that spiritual bank account, suddenly we, oh, we wake up and we turn on the app and we see infinity. The righteousness of Christ is in our account. And then when we look, uh, we rewind a, a day before, we see just infinity of evil and rebellion and sin. All of that got credited to Jesus' account, even though he knew no sin. And that we are so, so surprised to see infinity in terms of righteousness in our own account. We've heard of the terms passive obedience and active obedience. Oh, this active obedience that Christ lived perfectly and never sinned, for that to be credited to us, that gives us the confidence, oh, I can be an ambassador. Because last night or last week or last month or last year, oh, I was living in rebellious ways again and I want to turn to you. So are you sure you want me to be ambassador? And we open up the app to see the spiritual bank account and God says again, yes, look at your account. I have set you apart for this mission. So that's why you can find confidence in your ambassadorship. And you say, that's right, that's right, God. I forgot, I forgot. Thank you, God, for uplifting my spirit. Oh, would you leave this place, friends, with uplifted spirits to say, I forgot, I forgot, but now I remember why he called me and the confidence I can go in. And so, again, the old and the new, verse 17, the powerful ministry of reconciliation, entrusting an ambassadorship into the divine appeal, and finally the gospel's great exchange. All of these things should grant you Oh, the confidence to represent the waves of our Lord. Not simply better evangelism techniques, although that can help, or more boldness, Robin, and self-confidence, but really your confidence will come from the greater knowledge of the reality of the gospel you have received as a child of God. And so, friends, go and live this way. I don't know if there's a mirror here, and I could just say this to the mirror. Go and live this way, Robin, in hope and courage and reverence to our great Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, what great news this is. Oh, that you first loved us so that we could love you. That you first reconciled us to you through the Son, Jesus Christ. That now we don't have to live for ourselves, but we could solely live for you. Oh, what a privilege. What a privilege, oh, Heavenly Father. So help us, dear Lord, to become joyful, courageous, confident ambassadors for you, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And may you grant us just this conviction in community to edify one another, to point each other to the Son continually, and to remind ourselves of our identity in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.